0: To the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Um, It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to speak. Uh, My secret thought that is underneath it is that the rest of the teaching team has sort of bumped up the quality control. And I've sort of been, you know, discarded to the bottom of the heat. But, you know, so be it. You're here today. we are not in the middle of a sermon series, which is a little different here, and uh, gave us a little bit of flexibility with what we are speaking about today. And I wanted to, to dive in on a topic that I touched on um, maybe two or three times ago when I spoke, and I'm not going to have expected that any of you will possibly have remembered it, so we'll, we'll cover all the basics of it. This is the time, though, in our service where we really look at what God's word has to say. And this is an important part of who we are at the mission. Um, If you have a friend and you want to get to know that friend better, you don't just talk to other friends about that friend. Um, You don't just sort of uh, vaguely you know, find out little things that you can find out at a coffee shop or whatever, you actually sort of dive in with that friend and have conversation with them and, and try to understand who they are and, and what's important to them. And that's why we do that with God. We want, as a church, we want, all of us want to be in relationship with him and growing in our relationship with him. And one of the ways to do that is to get serious about what his communication is to us, which is what he's done through the Bible. So... In terms of how we live our lives as Christians, and when I say Christians, I just mean somebody that's in relationship with God through Christ. So they recognize the fact that they are a sinner and lost and in need of a savior. They've accepted that gift that God provided in in his son in his death on the cross, and then that has allowed them to be restored in relationship with him. So in how we live our lives as Christians, the Bible has some things about which it's really, really clear, right? Says we are to love others. That's pretty clear. We are to pray for those in positions of authority. That's uh, Romans 13. It makes it clear that drunkenness is a sin. It makes it really clear that all sexual, sexual activity is to be within the confines of marriage. It says we are to bring our worries before God. It makes it really clear that we are not to steal and not to murder. And so on. So there's some things about which the Bible is really, really clear. But there's other things about which the Bible is not really clear at all. In fact, when you start to get into it and you get into the Word, it's almost like it's purposely not clear. And the reason for that is it sort of gives us this opportunity to... um, uh, God seems to be giving us this opportunity to give us freedom that's bound only by our own conscience that's informed by God's Holy Spirit. Let me give you just a story from my own background that helped uh, this passage that we're gonna look at today come alive for me. When Jody and I were uh, young married and living in Albany, New York, I was doing my master's work at uh, University at Albany, and uh, the, um, our church that we attended had a church, had a campus ministry, and we partnered with another church in that ministry. And uh, we were at a meeting one time, and there were several of us that were in leadership with it, talking about a new outreach activity that we wanted to do. And the suggestion from somebody on, from our church is that, hey, it would be great to do like a picnic cookout kind of thing on a Sunday and have games and activities and see if we can get some grad students to come out for this activity. Well, it was really interesting. This church that we partnered with had a very different view of what was allowable on a Sunday. Some of you might be like, what? What are you talking about? Others do. this may resonate from your own spiritual backgrounds as well. Their perspective and their understanding was that all you really should do on a Sunday is participate in church-related activities, so at church or ministry or fellowship at church, or be in, in resting. Those are the only two things you really should be doing on a Sunday. And so, you know, my... Uh, at this meeting that we were at, I wanted to be angry and upset and how stupid are you and that's so legalistic and how can that be your perspective and somehow stopped myself in that process and then as that week went on and I was noodling over this whole concept, uh, God pointed me to 1 Corinthians chapter eight and that's gonna be what we look at today because what 1 Corinthians chapter eight does is gives us wisdom and how to think about things that are what we call debatable issues. So let me just give you a fun example of that. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you have to be a Dodgers fan, right? (laughs) Nothing in scripture that says you have to be a Dodgers fan. There are, so in scripture we think about some things that are really clear that are commands and then there's some things that are principles and principles are things that, you know, aren't necessarily a command but there's a principle in it. I'll just explain that a little bit. So I believe in, in scripture there's a principle of what I'd call Sabbath rest, and you see this in creation, right? God makes the world in six days and it says that he rests on the seventh and he sets that out to us as a principle for how we live our lives, in a lot of the Old Testament, there's actually specific rules about what you're supposed to do on that Sabbath, but Jesus made it clear when he comes in the New Testament that we no longer follow that law, but it doesn't change the principle. The principle is that we actually function better when after a period of work, we take time off and have rest. And it, There's a lot of research that points to the wisdom of that. So that's a principle, and then there's some things that the Bible isn't really clear about at all, and those are what we call debatable issues. So back to the Dodgers, right? So there's nothing, no commands that says you have to to be a Dodgers fan. (laughs) The only principle there that might play in is you may struggle with being an Astros fan right now, right? Um, But there are some, but this is an area where there are very, you know, very much debatable issues. And In one sense, God literally doesn't care about what team you cheer for, and I make fun of that, but we're going to look at that in some areas that people tend to take more seriously. Let's read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 together. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up. So let me just say, bear with me in this passage, because this idea of of meat meat sacrificed to idols or food sacrificed to idols is way outside our cultural context today, but we're going to come back and understand it. Verse 2 again. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that, quote, an idol has no real existence, end quote, and that, quote, there is no God but one, end quote. For though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So what I'm going to do is just sort of break this down, help us understand the passage, and then make some application to how we think as Christians about debatable issues. So it has sort of an awkward start, right? It says, now concerning, almost like we're jumping into the middle of a conversation. And what we know historically is that uh, Paul was in a, had several communication with the Corinthian church. They had written letters to him, he had written letters back. They were, we know there actually were at least four letters, two of which have been canonized in scripture. But we there was this communication, and so what Paul's doing in this passage is responding to something that the Corinthians had written to him about. So it feels to us like it's as awkwardly right in the middle of something. But he's going to begin a new thought because this, he's responding to what they've written to him about, and it's all about this topic of meat or food that's been sacrificed to idols, and. Uh, the, Corinthi- the city of Corinth was very interesting. It was a major trade hub, which meant in that day that you had people from all over the globe that came through the city. And because of that, it was actually a city with a lot of religious activity going on in it, a number of temples towards these gods from different uh, other uh, religions and locations and people groups from around the world. And part of what they do is they would actually sacrifice meat to these idols. But this is a culture where uh, you, especially if you're a poor individual, you may only eat meat once or twice a week. It was not a staple part of their diet. And so what would happen is after this meat was sacrificed to the idol, it had value, and it was certainly not going to be taken or used by this idol that didn't really exist. So they would take this meat, and sometimes they would sell it in the, uh, in the public marketplace, in the Stater Brothers of its day, and, uh, or they would take it and use it within the feast uh, that might have been like a church supper kind of concept for the people that were there. And this was creating an issue for the Corinthian Christians because they, they had debate about how they should handle it. Some of them felt like it was morally wrong to eat this meat because of what it, the, the religious ceremony that it had been used in. And other ones thought, hey, this is 50 cents less a pound. This is a good deal. I'm going to purchase this meat. So there was this debate going on. Uh, verse 2, it says, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I love this because it brings in immediately this idea of humility in this passage. It's a call to humility. When you think you know something, you don't know as much as you know. And that's a, just a great way to live life. And it really is true when it comes to our relationship with God. You think about who God is, right? God is an infinite uh, individual. And um, when we're in a relationship with God, the closer we get in that relationship, the more and more we know about it. We can never know all there is to know about God. And that should keep us humble in our approach to debatable issues and really for anything in life. Verse 3 says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This verse begins to set love as the important standard, love of God. It, this sense of recognizing God for who he is, and it uses this uh, expression known by God. And that word known is, is very much like the Old Testament word um, where the, the expression meant to be to watch over, uh, chosen, cared for. So it's this sense that uh, when a person loves God, they're watched over, they're cared for, they're chosen by God. So why would this first be right here? Like, how does this relate to this topic, right? this sort of this question that can come to mind as we think about it. I really think the biggest reason that it's in this spot is because our human nature is to take it that when somebody has an opposite view on a debatable issue, well, they can't possibly be a Christian, right? You can't possibly vote Democrat and be a Christian. You can't possibly be a Trump supporter and be a Christian, right? That's our tendency, our human nature is to see somebody that's on the opposite side of a debatable issue and doubt the fact that they're really a follower of God. And he's making the point here, saying, hey, listen, you love God, you're gonna be known by God. You're chosen by him, you're called by him. Doesn't really matter how you turn out on these debatable issues. Uh, Moving down to verse four. Verse four is interesting because what Paul is doing here is sharing the arguments with those that felt they had freedom to eat the meat sacrificed to idols. And they're good arguments. He says uh, there, we know that, quote, an idol has no real existence or that there is no God but one, right? The people that felt free to meet the, eat the meat that had been sacrificed to idols were making the point of, hey, these idols aren't real anyway. It doesn't really matter. We know there's only one God. It, you know, the fact that this meat was used in this ceremony is meaningless to me. And uh, Paul's recognizing that, yes, these are legitimate arguments. Uh, jumping down to verse six. It says, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So back in your eighth grade English class, for those of you that are at least my age, so it's not very many of you, um, you, we did these, we uh, broke down uh, parts of speech, right? There's a thing called the preposition, and this verse is made up of a bunch of little preposition and prepositional phrases, for us, from whom, for whom, through whom, and through whom, right? And what's really interesting about it is we lose some of the meaning of this. We read it today, and it's like hard to read because it's hard to read in English, but in the original language, each one of these prepositions had a specific meaning, so each of them added to their understanding of who God is and what the work of Christ is for the people that would have heard it in Paul's time period. Down in verse 7, says however not all possess this knowledge but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled so what paul's doing here is he's saying yes the argument that was made in verses 4 and 5 is completely legitimate but there's a huge caveat here not everyone has the same knowledge or insight or way of understanding for some the reason they do not have the knowledge is because they used to be involved with idol worship For them, it is truly wrong because it is a conviction for them. Their conscience is bothered by eating this meat that had been sacrificed to idols. I think it's really important to recognize, though, Paul does not make the case that, yeah, you go back and you make that same argument that you made in verse 4 and 5, and you argue stronger, and you convince this person that what they think is wrong. Paul's Paul's taking this and saying, hey, think about it from their perspective because that's what's really important here. It's important to recognize that uh, from their perspective, they've been convicted on this issue partly because it was part of their former life and they believe that it is wrong to do so. Verse eight, and this is probably the second key point in this uh, passage and the, the the main point we'll get to in verse 13, but verse eight says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So it really helps us understand it really does not matter. Either position is absolutely right and uh, that there's not one way to look at this particular issue. And this is very true, right? There's Again, I'll go back and say this again. There's certain things that are commands in Scripture. These things are really clear. Scripture's made these things clear to us. There's other items that are, are principles from Scripture that there may be some debate about how we think about them, but there are principles that we look at and we apply in our lives and then there's some topics that are debatable issues. In this area of debatable issues, it really doesn't matter where you end up on that issue. Neither, neither one of the positions is going to make you right before God. And we'll talk a little bit about then how we approach them. Jumping down to verse 9, Paul says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The idea of a stumbling block is sort of just what it sounds It's the idea of having something big that's in front of you that you're going to trip over. And in this passage, it's a metaphor, right? It's a word picture, and in that word picture, it's the idea of something that trips us up morally or spiritually. So what Paul has done in in verse 9 is basically flip the script. You have the freedom to do what you want in this particular issue, but I'm going to introduce another principle that makes you think differently about it. It was previously, it was about me having the freedom to exercise my rights based on knowledge I have about whether I was willing or able or, uh, or could um, eat meat, knowing that it would make me no better with God. Now Paul is saying there's something more than that that's at play in this, that goes beyond the exercise of our rights or our freedoms. And it's this idea of a stumbling block, this idea of not being somebody that trips somebody else up in an area of, of which uh, have, they have conviction in. Verse 10 says, "For any, If anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? Just a little bit of context about what was happening here. Um, archaeologists have unearthed uh, several temples in, this, uh, in the ancient city of Corinth, at least two of them have these really large eating areas with, or areas that within them that they surmise may have been areas where feasts were done, or um, you know where the people would have gathered for uh, some kind of a large event. And the the thought there is that not that the Christian people would have gone and been part of the worship part of the experience, but that perhaps after this. Religious idolatrous uh, ceremony took place that the food was brought over into this other room, and the whole community might have joined in a little bit, like a church supper or something, where people would have gathered and eaten it. And it's in that context that somebody that had um, struggled in this particular issue with the meat sacrificed idols might have seen another Christian actually partaking of them. So that's the context for verse ten. Verse eleven says, "And so by your knowledge, this weak person." Is destroyed. That's how seriously God takes this. He uses the word destroyed. I mean, that's incredible when you think about it. That's how serious this issue is of not causing somebody to go against their personal convictions. This is why we don't want to be a stumbling block to others. Verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. This is introducing the idea that if you are a stumbling block, it's actually sin for you, not just that you're causing the other person to sin, but that you've sinned yourself. And then verse 13, which is really the summary of this passage and maybe the most important element of it. It's Paul's solution. He says there, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest my brother stumble. It's a bit of an exaggeration for him, right? But he's telling you how seriously he takes this whole issue about whether he's causing somebody else to go against their personal convictions. He's willing to sacrifice his own perspective, the freedoms that he knows that he has, in order to not cause this other person to stumble. So we've looked a little bit at this passage, and I want to draw out sort of four conclusions, four uh, applications that we can make uh, from this passage. And I just want to say this before I begin. So this passage is all about this whole thing of meat sacrifice to idols, and I could guarantee that none of you here have that as a debatable issue, right? None of you, has that ever probably even crossed your mind? Some of you probably were not even familiar that it was in Scripture. But there are a lot of things like this that as Christians uh, you may find yourself in a very different position than another Christian. So you may be interacting with somebody that believes that you know the uh, worship service should only take place on a Saturday versus a Sunday, and you don't know how to you know wrestle through that. Or you may talk with somebody who um, has a perspective that a Christian should never have a drink of alcohol, and you have a different perspective on it. Or um, you um, you know may, there may be uh, a part of of your of who you are that would recognize that, hey, eating meat is actually wrong from a moral, biblical perspective, and somebody else as a Christian may have a very different perspective on that. How do you think through and how do you wrestle through? So I wanna look at four principles that are really important as we think about this. First, we need to seek God's personal direction. So I got to be honest, our tendency, I think especially in our church, because we're not particularly legalistic, which is a good thing, I like that, Uh, but our tendency is to not really wrestle through these things at all, to be like, hey, I'm going to celebrate my freedom, but I've never really looked at what God says about it, I've never really cared about what God says about it, I'm just celebrating my freedom, the fact that I can engage in whatever this behavior is, that may be questionable in some circles. So I would challenge you, I think the whole lesson from this is to be serious about finding out what God has to say about something. And we do that by, ri- by reading God's word. So when we wanna find out what God has to say about something, we get serious about finding out what's in the scripture and we see that there's certain things in scripture, again, that are commands, we see things that are principles, and we see things that are debatable issues and I've sought God's direction in those areas and I begin to recognize them for myself. I also pray for his direction. God, show me how I should be facing or dealing with this particular issue. That story that took place when um, we were uh, in that college ministry in Albany, New York, many years ago. But that was a great example of you know I I was young as a believer in some ways, and I would I could have been swayed or convinced by the other uh, church's perspective about how to think about Sunday. And uh, or I could seek God and say, hey, what's God's direction for me uh, in that situation? And I think a really big point, point in this, though, is we have to recognize that your own life story will impact your approach to debatable issues. Let me give you an example. If you grew up in a house where alcohol was abused or maybe you actually became a Christian out of a situation where your own story was either an addiction to or use of alcohol in situations where poor decisions are being made and it became a real problem for you, then you're very likely when you become a believer to be in a situation where you want to leave all of that behind because this is characteristic of your old life, the way you used to live and not part of the new life. And so it becomes a matter of very strong personal conviction for you. Another example of this, my mother was saved out of a denomination where she had grown up in this other church, this denomination, and never really heard the gospel message. For her, when she became a believer, she struggled with how anybody could be in this other church setting and be a Christian because of her own experience. So it's very likely that as you become a believer, you bring parts of your past in your story and they impact your approach to these debatable issues. So first, seek God's personal direction. Two, live up to your convictions with grace and humility. So if you believe it's sin and it's in this debatable uh, issues category, it's sin. That's that's the message of this 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But here's the challenging part, the grace and humility part of it. However, you have to recognize that others have a legitimate right to see things differently than you do. So as a Red Sox fan, I struggle with you know how can how can you know Ricardo be a believer if he's a Dodgers fan? Um, No, (laughs) but. but seriously on this is that this is so difficult for us. This is not who we normally are, right? Our struggle is that we tend to think of when somebody sees something differently, hey, how can that person be a Trump supporter? How can that person be a Democrat? You know, they, they're wrong, they're lost, they're messed up, they, you know, clearly not reading the Bible, whatever it is. you know. But we have to recognize that, that that individual, because it is a debatable issue, they have a legitimate right to have a different perspective than you do. Number three, don't judge others. So built into who we are as human beings is this tendency to judge others, to judge those particularly who think differently than we do. Obviously, if they hold that position, they're not nearly as strong a Christian as I am. That's our human nature. That's the way we tend to be about stuff. And what's interesting is when you look at that passage in 1 Corinthians 8, you actually see a, uh, you see that being lived out, right? The people who um, believed it was wrong to eat the meat sacrificed to idols, they believed that the people that were eating the meat were morally wrong. What kind of a Christian were they? How could they eat that meat if um, you know, knowing how wrong it is and what it was used for? And guess what? The people on the other side of the issue, they tended to think the same way as well well, they're weak, you know, they're spiritually, I'm so much more spiritually mature, that's why I have this freedom to be able to enjoy what I do. And, you know, and there, there's probably truth on both sides of that, but the reality is, uh, the problem is that we as human beings tend to judge others. And then number four, don't be a stumbling block to others. This is hard, right? We live where we love to celebrate the freedoms that we have. We love to be able to take advantage of the the things that we do, and we don't want to be constrained by some kind of legalism. That's, you know, we, we tend, especially as Western Christians, tend to fight against that. But Paul has sort of introduced a very different principle, and it's a principle that says, I'm gonna think more about the other person than I am gonna think about myself. I'm gonna think more about their perspective than me being having the opportunity to exercise my rights. And that shouldn't surprise us. You think about the basics of the gospel message. Basics of the gospel message is that the God of the universe loved us so much that he gave up, he sacrificed his son, he sent his son to earth, His son, Jesus, lives a perfect, sinless life, and then dies on the cross, didn't deserve it, died on our behalf, took our sins upon himself. All of that story is about thinking about somebody else more than you think about yourself. So why would it be surprising to us that when it comes to a topic like debatable issues that we're not also challenged to think about somebody else before we think about ourselves as well? It's that kind of selflessness that's built into the gospel when our human nature is about selfishness. So, just two uh, practical ideas that I would suggest to you about uh, stumbling block to others. One is to watch what you post on social media. Um, our tendency—what do we tend to do? Like we, uh, some of the things that we post that uh, denigrate the opposite side of a political issue, right? You know, like. Uh, Trump supporters are this, or Democrats are that, or whatever it is, right, that are just ugly and awful. Uh, or we may celebrate our freedoms that we have in certain categories by you know, posting, hey, uh, going out for drinks tonight, or whatever it is. And again, there's, you can have your own convictions about it, but you have to be, that's the message of this passage, is to be cognizant of the fact that not everybody is gonna share your perspective on these debatable issues, and therefore, Uh, the message of the passage is that I want to be careful and I'm not a stumbling block to others. And then two, watch what you say and do. And so again, you know, that whole willingness to sacrifice my own freedoms and what I can enjoy um, because I'm going to be careful about how what I do impacts others related to the convictions that they have. So just to review those four points on this, you want to, when it comes to issues that are debatable issues, you want to seek God's direction. You want to live up to your convictions with grace and humility. You want to not judge others, and you want to not be a stumbling block to others. So I just would challenge you in those four areas. Uh, The worship team's gonna come up uh, now, and we'll pray and conclude our time together. God, sometimes you, we wonder as human beings why you don't make everything clear, everything a command, but that's not who you've made us to be. You've made us to be people because we're in your image and we have uh, capacity to learn and understand and grow. And, and because you're infinite, there's always more that we can know about you. And Lord, when it comes to this issue of debatable ish, uh, topics, places where we can step on others' toes and, and hurt their convictions, Lord, I just would ask that you'd help us to be a people of grace and a people of humility, that we would recognize that in ourselves there's still more to know, more to learn, Lord, and that our desire is to grow in you and to see others grow in you as well. Lord, I just would ask that, the message of the gospel, uh, the message of hope, the message of the fact that you were selfless and giving of your son and making possible a relationship with you would also impact our relationship with others. That we would approach particularly these debatable issues from a selfless perspective, willing to concede um, both the perspective on the issue and not being the idea of not being a stumbling block in our freedoms, Lord, in that that we'd be willing to concede in those areas for the sake of our relationship with you and our relationship with others, Lord, I just would ask that you'd make us a people marked by our love one for another. That we wouldn't be about tearing one another down, but about lifting one another up. Lord, I just would ask that as we, uh, as the ushers come forward right now and we take this morning's tithes and offerings, Lord, that. Um, You would bless those that give. Uh, You would bless these gifts and allow us to bless this Redlands community and around the globe with the ministries that we support as well. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your provision. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.